welcome to the CPD Group podcast. Join us as we guide you through all things CPD, interview some special guests and offer advice to help your business thrive. We hope you enjoy listening. Hello everybody and welcome to the CPD Group podcast. We're here today with the next section of our podcast. Today we're going to be talking about all things legal. Okay, we have our friend Wayne coming in to see us. So this is Wayne Bynon. He's from HCR Law and he's here today to help advise people about all things legal about our accreditation services. So welcome Wayne, nice to see you. Thank you very much for coming to join us. Are you all right? Good, thanks Sandy. Thank you very much for having me today. Real pleasure to come up here. Good man, no problem at all. So tell us a little bit about you, Wayne, and tell us a little bit about HCR Law and what you guys do and where you fit into that mix. Okay, so um, as you said, my name's Wayne Bynan. I'm a partner at HCR Law. I specialise in resolving disputes between companies um, with a specific emphasis on resolving disputes where there's intellectual property involved. Um, I've been with HCR for a little under a year, um, and the firm... uh, uh, has offices throughout the UK, across England and Wales, 10 offices. Uh, we have um, approximately 800 staff, uh, and so we are a sizable law firm offering a full service package, um, everything from family law disputes through to um, uh, blue chip uh, corporate deals, um, mergers and acquisitions. So full complementary of, um, of legal services. Brilliant, brilliant. I mean, this is going to be a really useful podcast for our, you know, our network and those further afield. We're, we're actually going to be doing a three-part series here where we're going to talk to you a little bit about, you know, our provider accreditation, our trainer accreditation, and then also about activities and having those accredited with us. So this is part one where we're going to be looking at our providers. So there's going to be a lot of useful information that I'm sure that you're going to be able to share with our, our viewers. Okay, so let's get stuck into it, shall we? Right. Of course, let's go for it. So, yeah, so... When we're talking about our CPD providers, okay, so it's um, what we do is we, we look to work with training providers who provide CPD activities to their clients. Okay, so part of that process is, uh, you know, they come on board for free with us where we assess the company. We go through the provider application that they submit to us. And part of that is all of the policies that they have in place. Okay, so we look to ensure that all of these training providers have everything that they need to, all the essential elements, policies, procedures, all of those things to help make their business the best it can be. So in terms of policies, what, how important is it for companies to have a structure and to have those policies in place from a legal perspective? It's very important. Um, if, um, if a business demonstrates that it's taken the time and effort to consider these policies, consider which policies it needs for the services it provides, um, it demonstrates to the outside world that it's a it's a business that takes itself seriously, has appropriate um, systems and processes in place, and um, and is future proof to ensure that um, uh, all of their um, legal obligations are properly met. Excellent. And I know you've actually told us that your your specialism is intellectual property, you know, but one of the areas that we, we do cover with our training providers is things like data protection. I mean, how important is it for people to protect their data? You know, I don't expect you to be giving legal advice here by any means, Wayne, but just on a broader kind of uh, sense, how important is that? Well, Andy, I mean, I think everybody these days has heard of GDPR and data protection. It's, um, it's high profile in the news and has been um, for a number of years now. 
and um, and it stems from um, some legislation that was brought in, um, uh, like I say, a number of years ago now. But businesses have had to react and respond to the, this legislation to ensure that they deal with personal and, and sensitive information um, in um, in a proper way. Um, so when you're uh, when you're a business that has access to, like I say, personal information, uh, it's important that as data controller. Uh, you ensure that, as you said earlier, you've got proper, proper policies and systems in, in place to ensure that information isn't shared outside of the business um, without the individual's um, uh, consent or permission. And that proper precaution is taken to um, uh, handle that data in a, in a professional way. Absolutely. I mean, because training providers these days are collecting highly sensitive data, you know, because when we're looking at part of our, our framework, which we'll come to in, um, you know, part three of this series, uh, one of the things we look at is the accessibility measures that training providers can put in place so that people can access their training. You know, so by doing that, they're collecting some seriously sensitive data, you know, highly protected data. So it's important, as you say, that they have these policies in place so they can demonstrate what they do and how they protect that data, isn't it? Yeah, and, and the key message from me, and it won't shock you to hear this, but you know, if there are any concerns within any of your accredited organisations around data protection, the best thing to do is to seek appropriate legal advice on what they can or what they should and shouldn't be doing with that uh, with that data. Yeah, great advice, great advice. So again, you know, we cover lots of different kind of policies. A lot of them are related to their relationship with the learner. Okay, so, you know, talking about malpractice. So the learner understands their responsibilities and their their rights in in, in an area of malpractice if the company you know, suspect them of cheating, essentially, you know, the policies there to, to put into measure, you know, into place the kind of measures that will be taken in that instance. But one of the other things that we ask them to demonstrate to us as well, and I know that you're not an insurance lawyer by any means, but we ask them to put public liability insurance cover and tell us what policy number and everything that they've got there, because they're going to be having learners come on site. I mean, how important do you think that is to ensure that they are completely covered in that area? Well, again, as you say, I'm not an insurance specialist, but um, as a general rule of thumb, it's important that these businesses take appropriate advice from their insurance broker or even an insurance lawyer to assess the areas of risk for the business. And you talked about, you know, um, off-bag liability insurance. Um, There are a range of different insurances out there that can properly protect the business, but it's it's imperative that each business assesses its exposure um, and, and... and puts in place insurance policies to protect against the risks that that business faces. No two businesses will be the same. Mm. Uh, they'll be all be on a different stage in their journeys. And so the level of cover, for example, that they, um, they acquire, all of these things need b- bespoke attention and consideration. Yeah, I mean, you talk about there, you know, different companies being at different parts of their journey. I mean, we experience that quite a lot. We work with quite a variety of companies from startup right the way through to multinational companies that have internal training programs. Okay, so one of the questions we hear, especially from the new businesses, is when they go through the application process, they come to the section where we ask them to identify the policies they have in place. Now, if they don't have them, we offer them a free template for them to download and, you know, adapt and adopt as their own, which is great. All right. But the question that comes to us is, why do we need these? I mean, what is the point? So as as a general picture, you know, why is it really important for these companies? I know you've kind of covered this already, but just to answer that question, not so they, you know, not hearing it from me again, you know, hearing it from somebody else. why, Why is it so important to make sure that you do that? Well, that question can be raised of any type of insurance policy. 
Why do you insure your car? Why do you insure your home? Because you're insuring against the risk of something disastrous happening. And it's the same for any business. You put these policies and insurance uh, um, policies in place to guard against potential risks that the business faces. And as I said a moment ago, each business will face different risks. Um, and and you know, there is there is never um, a case where it's too early to start thinking about um, having these policies in place. The common misconception, and it relates to intellectual property as well, but common misconception amongst startups is, we'll deal with that later down the road, at some point in the future when we're generating X number of, uh, or X revenue. The time to start thinking about it is when you first set up your business and, and look at how the business is, is planned to grow, its trajectory, and, um, and, and what level of risk the business faces at each stage in that journey. Excellent. Excellent. So, you know, just from your your standpoint, when a, a company is setting up, you know, they're, they're, they're putting their training academy together, they're getting a brand, you know, they're, they're designing their logo, they're doing all these kind of things, which is exciting. You know, it's, it's the beginning of a, of a massive journey. What advice can you give them in terms of, you know, looking after that brand and maybe, you know, having a look to see if the name is already out there as somebody else, you know, this kind of thing. What kind of advice you got in that area? Okay, well, this touches, you know, this, this is, expands on the point that I made a moment ago in terms of the steps you need to take when you first start trading under a particular brand or creating intellectual property or content for your business. Again, the common misconception is, well, we haven't yet got a brand that's worth anything, so we don't need to look at protecting it, ensuring we have the right to use a particular name or logo. We'll look at that later down the road when we're generating significant revenue. By that point, it's too late. It's too late. Yes. So, so it's vital that startup businesses look at their things like their trademarks uh, and their copyright protected content to ensure, first of all, that nobody else is using that name or brand or logo. But then secondly, to ensure that they protect their, their rights as far as possible um, in their, the name that they've created for their business uh, or any associated logo. So the, the starting point, obviously, is to, to Google search you know, your, your proposed name, for example. See if anybody else out there is using a similar name or the same name for the same or similar goods or services. Uh, and if there is, then you, know, you might want to look at a different name or different logo. Um, but that's the first stage. If you get past that, then I'd always recommend um, these fledgling businesses seek input from a specialist intellectual property lawyer to ensure that proper clearance searches are carried out, ensure that the trademark register is clear and they have a clear pathway to, to continue to trade under that name because the last thing you want to do as a fledgling business is to invest time and effort in creating a brand start trading for a period of time, start shooting for the moon, and turn around in two years' time and realise that you're being forced to rebrand because a company down the road has a logo or a name that's, that's the same or similar to your own. So those clearance searches, yes, there's an expense to it up front. Um, it's fairly modest, in fact. You know, you're, you're probably talking between sort of 500 to 1,500 pounds to invest in those clearance searches and potentially obtain some kind of protection over your brand and your logo. But again, the, the main point for me is it's never too early to have that advice and ensure that the, the pathway is clear for you to, to use that brand and that logo.
Absolutely. Great advice. I mean, because uh, I recently saw in the news that uh, the Easy Group have actually taken a band to court because they're called Easy Life or something like that, you know. And uh, the Easy Group have actually said you can't do that because that's infringing upon our brand. And, uh, you know, it looks like they might win that case because it's difficult to fight these big organisations. So as you say, it's a, if they'd have done their research at the beginning, they wouldn't be in this position right now. So that's really good advice. Yeah, and, and just to lead on for that, there are, you know, cases in the, the news and the media almost on a monthly basis about some high-profile uh, brand taking on um, the, the, the minnows and, and stifling their business. And, you know, the perception from the public, of course, is that these are bully boy tactics that are being deployed. Mm. But quite often, they're simply enforcing what are legitimate intellectual property rights. So, for example, where, where you've got household names or brands such as McDonald's or, or, or Nike or uh, whatever else, they may only um, provide goods or services in a specific area, whether it's food and drink, or whether it's cars, or whether it's um, athletic clothing. But their brands are so big and so well known that it gives them entitlement to stop the use of their name in other goods and services or areas which are unrelated to their own. So, um, just because you know you you you're not offering the same goods or services as your McDonald's or Nike doesn't mean that you're not infringing their uh, their intellectual property rights by using something similar to their brand. Yeah, that's interesting. You see, I imagine a lot of people won't think of it like that. So, uh, yeah, really important information there, Wayne. Thanks very much. So that's us. We're going to wrap up part one of the three-part series. Okay, so that's us talking today with Wayne Bynon about our provider applications and our provider accreditation route. Okay, so join us in the second part of the series where we'll be looking at our trainer accreditation and getting Wayne's valuable advice on how to protect yourself and how to look after your business as a sole trader or as a training company, as an individual trainer, essentially. All right, well, thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you in part two. Thank you for tuning in to the CPD Group podcast. Be sure to tune in next time for more helpful content. See you soon. Before you go... Did you know that you can receive a free CPD certificate from listening to this podcast? All you need to do is head over to the cpd.group forward slash podcast. That's the cpd.group forward slash podcast and enter the confirmation code 800013.